dear listeners, you are listening to the second episode of Inspiration Talks, and this is quite new podcast. Today episode is cryptography, about cryptography and some of the interesting events from history of cryptography. Uh, so what I generally want to talk about is what's the purpose of the cryptography and then talk about some historical events and how uh, certain algorithms uh, were made, uh, what were their background, what were some of those stories and uh, then uh, review how government wanted to interfere into publishing of some of the uh, most advanced algorithms that we have today. Uh, so cryptography is basically a field of study that uh, studies how to make ciphers and there are like a couple of uh, general motivations about why we want to encrypt something and why we want to use ciphers. So one of the reasons that cryptography solves is confidentiality. So if you want to uh, transmit uh, messages over uh, the insecure environment uh, in to some receiver and be sure that that person will receive the the message and that only that person can read it uh, you will be using cryptography uh, the second uh, thing that cryptography solves is authenticity of the message so uh, if uh, you want to make sure that uh, someone sent you the message and that for sure it was that person uh, cryptography can help uh, there is a ways of cryptography uh, that can solve uh, integrity of the message so you can make sure that uh, uh, that the message that you received haven't been changing while it was traveling uh, and as well like uh, non-reproducibility so so if you want to know that uh, if you want to prove to make sure that somebody can say uh, can't say basically that they sent the message uh, or they did something cryptography as well helps there so if we look at the history of cryptography the first thing that people started doing is something that is called symmetric encryption so basically uh, there is some sort of like shared secret with, between receiver and sender and uh, this uh, and, and the message is made in a way that without knowing that shared secret uh, the other person can't read the message or can't create the message. Uh, and now there were like a couple of uh, creative uh, ways of using those things in the past. So uh, one way that uh, uh, one interesting story, or, or at least I find it interesting, is the story of Histi Ayus. It is about 
600 BC, story, story dates from 600 BC, and Histiatus was a tyrant in Ionia, so in today's uh, Greece, So, uh, but they were like close to the Greek colonies. Uh, and... Uh, and that was the time of uh, Darius the uh, first. So, so he was basically helping Darius to uh, to fight with the Greeks. Uh, and at some point, uh, he, he he sort of wanted to expand his influence in the region, and uh, the other tyrants uh, were not very happy about that, started warning Darius about that. Uh, and Darius uh, called him to be his advisor in Susa. So that was kind of the capital of the Persia at the time. Uh, so he went there. He'd been there for some time. However, he was unhappy about that. So he uh, decided to make a plan uh, to make a rebellion in his former dominion. Uh, uh, And and he wanted to basically inform uh, his loyal people who are there who are loyal to him to start the rebellion uh, so the Darius would call him and uh, tell him to return there and sort out the rebellion uh, so, so what he did he shaved one of his uh, loyal slaves uh, he shaved his head and tattooed the message in the area where he, his hair grows uh, and, uh, and and then waited, waited by the time that his uh, hair grew, and then sent the slave to Yonia. Uh, and there, the other person knew that he has to shave the slave's head to read the message, read the message, start the rebellion, and uh, as he has, Theos, uh thought uh, Darius called him and sent him there to sort of the rebellion and he continued to be tyrant in that region. Uh, The other way of scrambling the message that was uh, from this ancient time was called Spartan Skytail and basically it's a stick uh, that you wrap a piece of piece of either paper or cloth uh, with some letters and, and and basically the secret there is the thickness of the uh, of the stick and once you wrap the message uh, around it it uh, on one part of it shows the message and you can read it uh, and then and that was quite often used in like ancient Sparta and stuff like that. Uh, the f- the further one is Caesar cipher. This one is quite famous because it represents the first kind of uh, substitution cipher that were quite popular until. Uh, 
until pretty much recently, until the end of 19th century. Even in 20th century, it was quite often used uh, in some forms. Uh, but basically, a Caesar cipher substitutes letters by a couple of characters. So, for example, if the if the move is free, A will become D, B will become E, C will become F, and in in that way you will uh, write a message. However, it is easily broken. Uh, but and, and basically you can do it in multiple ways either by brute forcing or by uh the frequency of the characters uh and, and then like the same method was used to make uh, the range of substitution cipher where you would have a code book which will have which will have a mapping between the letters uh, so it could be totally random, like A will be C, B will be S, C will be G, D would be A, E would be L, and so on. Uh, and those uh, ciphers had quite big key space, so it was like 26 factorial, so it is about 2 to the 88. Uh, however, as well, those ciphers would be easily broken by uh, basically looking at the frequency of the word of the characters uh, so for example if you do it in, in the English language you can quite easily determine that the most common character in English language is character E uh, and it's actually present in the English common language 12.7% of the time so if you look at the most common character, it will be likely that it is uh, the substitution for the letter E. And then you can similarly do for the second uh, most common character, which is character T, that is present 9.1% of the time. Then character A is 8.1% of the time. Uh, and then you have like basically the most common three characters but then you're pretty much stuck because most of the rest of the letters are uh, are having similar uh, frequencies uh, so what you can be looking then at is the frequency of the pa pairs of the letters so they're like a common uh, pairs like that that are called diagrams like H E T H A N I N I N, uh, and basically by looking at those par pairs, you can recover a lot of letters, and then you can start recovering some like smaller words, and by doing that, you will be recovering more and more letters, and basically this is ciphertext only attack and. Uh, and, and basically, uh, this this attack was discovered in uh, Middle Ages in the Arabic world. They started studying uh, Quran and the frequency of the letters in Arabic language, and then uh, as well tried to apply uh, this knowledge on the ciphers. Uh, and then, like fast forward to the Renaissance. Uh, it is uh, as well like good to mention that 
during the Middle Ages, uh, nothing really was happening in Europe in terms of the cryptography. Uh, so the first move uh, in cryptographic space was actually in the Renaissance. And uh, the guy called Wigener in 16th century Rome invented a new cipher that basically had the key that was word and then uh, the substitution was coming from the uh, difference uh, between those uh, letters so like he would add the letter in his cipher with the letter in the message and uh, do a mod 26 over it however again this cipher was as well uh, possible to attack using word frequencies now you would uh, you would have to know the length of the key and once you know the length of the key you could look at every uh, character that is uh, on, on the for example, uh, beginning of the cipher, and the most common one will be, again, probably letter E, and so on, and then you can subtract those, uh, those letters and recover the key. Uh, and then, like, in, uh, so most of the ciphers during the Middle Ages were kind of substitution ciphers. Uh, some of the communication would use whole words and would have the code book of the words. However, that is not very practical because you have to have the dictionary of almost the whole language. Uh, but uh, they were using it. Uh, and then during the 19th and early 20th century, uh, radio and telegram was invented. And that was like a motivating huge push in cryptography, especially from uh, the state perspective. So diplomatic communications and war communi wartime communications. Uh, basically, radio allowed uh, easy communication. However, uh, it as well uh, made uh, possible to for the enemy to eavesdrop almost uh, almost whole communication. So uh, therefore, it was necessary to cipher everything that was going on. Uh, you couldn't have trusted carrier that would deliver the plain text message, for example, that would be possible in the earlier times. Uh, so uh, this made race to the rotor machines and basically those machines would have a rotor which would store a key and then every time uh, some key was pressed, some letter was pressed on the typing machine, the rotor would rotate and that would change a key by one direction. Enigma was one of the more complicated uh, and ultra as well. Uh, rotor machines. It consisted of three to five rotors. The key space was twenty-six to five to fifth. But basically, it still uh, was de decrypted and broken by uh, brute force with some of the breaks by knowing some of the uh, messages that were going on, uh, and. 
so so far we have discovered that there are like two problems in cryptography one problem that people are facing is basically security and secrecy of the uh, of the messages and the other is key distribution uh, so like how to distribute the key between the parties uh, and and that as well like raised the question what is actually the good cipher how uh, what defines that the cipher is strong so think think about that for a bit uh, and there was a guy called Claude Shannon uh, who is basically founder of couple of fields including information theory digital circuit design uh, and in 1949 he published a paper mathematical theory of communication uh, and then following year the communication theory of secrecy system where he described what is unbreakable system an unbreakable uh, cipher uh, and uh, how he defined it uh, is that like ciphertext should uh, reveal no information about plain text. So like even if the adversary has infinite computational power, uh, there should be no ciphertext uh, only attack. So so that he called perfect secrecy. And as it turned out, there is there were already a system uh, that was called one time pad, uh, invented in nineteen seventeen, uh, that had this property. So one time pad was uh, invented by Vernam in nineteen seventeen, and basically what it does it exhorts a message with. Uh, uh, with key, uh, and, and and then in order to retrieve the message, you uh, XOR ciphertext with, uh, with with key, uh, and uh, however, the problem with one time pad is that key has to be as long as the message and can only be used once. And here, like once really means once. So, like if you use it twice, there is a way to uh, retrieve the message. So, if you XOR two messages that were encrypted using the same key, you uh, you will ba basically retrieve XOR of two messages, and then like English language is sparse enough uh, with ASCII codes, especially if encrypted with ASCII codes, so you can retrieve. Uh, Parts of the parts of the letters and then the whole messages, uh, and as well there is a problems uh, with key generation. So if you have a gen like key generator that is not generating random keys, that could be a serious problem uh, because. Uh, one can uh, uh, like find a pattern to the key and then uh, decrypt. So if you run out of the keying material, like people were using noise from the space and uh, atoms and stuff like that. However, if you use something that is like pseudo-random, that could make you a problem. And 
as well, if you reuse the keys, as I said. Uh, and one time pad was quite used. Uh, it was used in uh, United States and Soviet Union hotline. It was used for Soviet Union's diplomatic communication. However, there was some like failures with like using the same key. So uh, United States were able to retrieve some of the Soviet communication that were uh, that were encrypting using this key. Uh, however, the problem with one time pad is it's there is no efficient way to distribution of the keys. Uh, so and, and it is impractical because the key is very long. The key is long as the message. Or as old messages, uh, so we will try to examine like what was happening then with uh, invention of uh, key distribution strategy, or like how how we came to some algorithms that we use today for key distribution. Uh, so one of those algorithms is. Uh, the Hellman's Merkel's algorithm. So, like Ralph Merkel was undergrad student in the seventies in University College Berkeley, and in one of his uh, student projects, he proposed that he would be looking how two parties could agree on a shared secret without private communication. Uh, and basic idea was that he would propose a method where parties have to do significantly less work than eavesdropper. Uh, so his basic idea was that these two people, Alice and Bob, would have to do an operation to agree on the secrets, while eavesdropper have to do like square uh, number of operation uh, that they have to do. Uh, so, so basically, they would publish uh, hash, like random hashes uh, of many numbers, and then they would check each other hashes and agree that uh, there is there is one hash that matches that there is a first match that hashes, and then they would use that. However, he when he proposed this project, a, a professor told him that uh, other projects look more reasonable. Maybe it is kind of vaguely worded, and uh, and it is like not understandable. Uh, so basically, he would put him down, but. Uh, later on, he sent the email with the project proposal to Diffie and Hellman and Stanford University, uh, and they recognized that there is a potential in that work. So uh, uh, he got a PhD. He started a PhD, uh, to work on a PhD at the Stanford University, uh, and they made uh, a slight innovation or slight change in the algorithm he was proposing. So uh, Hellman basically made uh, a theoretic paper about the existence of uh, functions with two keys, one for encrypting and second for decrypting. Merkel basically 
found the fu function, how uh, ever they change it. So the Alice and Bob need to do uh, keep power on three operations. However, eavesdropper have to do two on the function of k. So basically here it becomes exponentially harder to uh, to find out what uh, what they agreed on. Uh, and they published a paper in 1976 uh, which kind of outlined what were being the new directions in cryptography in IEEE journal. Uh, what happened next was that uh, a guy called J.A. Mayer uh, wrote a letter to staff secretary of IEEE publication warning him that certain publications breach certain uh, federal regulations about arms uh, arms trafficking and so on. So at the time, US government was considering ciphers as munition uh, and therefore it was illegal to export them. Uh, and uh, later, it was confirmed by science that this J.A. Mayer was actually employee of NSA. And at the time, uh, uh, it was later actually revealed uh, or said that uh, NSA considered the algorithm that they discovered classified and that they had it, or they said that they claimed that they had the algorithm developed in-house. Uh, earlier on, like two years earlier. Uh, and then basically this letter uh, kind of raised the question, can government uh, prevent academics from publishing on cryptography? Uh, so basically you could argue that it is not the case. There's especially in the United States, there's First Amendment. However, there are a couple of exceptions, like Atomic Energy Act and some other laws that uh, basically, uh, yeah, say that you can publish, but unless it is of national interest. So Hellman wrote a letter to the uh, Council of Stanford University asking what to do and argued that they should be able to publish it because there is uh, there is commercial need for it and lack of cryptography is a natural threat uh, that any country could could build uh, build cryptographic tools so it's pointless to prohibit exports and U.S. is not at war, so arguments from the Second World War are not valid anymore. And he got the response that basically they agree with uh, him. However, it said that, as you are already aware, of course, from the letter of Mr. Meyer, there are at least one contrary uh, view, and... Uh, should such view be adopted by the federal government, you could be subjected to prosecution. Uh, 
because the dissemination of the research is within uh, the scope of your duties as a member of the faculty, the university would defray the reasonable cost of your defense against such prosecution. Nevertheless, there would always remain a risk to you personally of fine of imprison or imprisonment if the government prevails in such case. Uh, so, and and they were about to speak at the at the conference, uh, and and basically his students were. So Markle was about to speak, and what he would do as a supervisor, he would tell him that, well, there is a threat that you can be arrested or so something can happen, uh, and like, do you still want to speak? He would say yes. Uh, however, then he would turn out to the parents, like, you know, he would call and say, well, hey, there, there is this conference I'm speaking on, but there is a threat that we will be arrested by NSA. Uh, and then, like, parents uh, kind of talked him out of it. So at the end, Hellman was talking at the conference and his students were standing next to him silent and it was huge tension like whether something will happen whether uh, someone will try to arrest them however it went smoothly nobody tried so it all went fine uh, and uh, then the other algorithm that came a bit later on uh, was RSA algorithm developed in 1977 by Ron Rivers, Adi Shamir, and Leonard Aldeman. RSA is basically made of these names. Uh, so uh, later it was claimed by G uh, GCHQ that they uh, developed the equivalent algorithm in 1973, but it was not uh, disclosed, so it was developed by apparently a guy called Clifford Cox, uh, but yeah, like th there are arguments like that the secret organization could come and just for the sake of PR say that they invented something uh, that they haven't, so nobody would really uh, be able to s say whether it's true or not, uh, as they are covered with the veil of secrecy uh, so, so basically this algorithm is uh, a bit different than Diffie-Hellman-Merkel's uh, algorithm so Diffie-Hellman's is basically agreeing on the shared secret uh, with uh, public, pu uh, public communication while RSC is basically uh, making two keys and making asymmetric uh, encryption uh, and Basically, you can uh, encrypt using someone's public key, which only that person would be able to decrypt using the private key. And and then, like using those couple of algorithms, uh, uh, and as well some of the symmetric that were published later on, like in. Uh, such as DAS and IS uh, that that became like commercial standards for for 
symmetric encryption. Uh, Phil Zimmerman in 1991 published a pretty good privacy protocol. Uh, and as well like tools uh, that are accompanying and he basically posted it on the couple of uh, mailing lists and basically through friends uh, and on some of those mailing lists they put the warning that the warning that that is the email uh, intended for US people only uh, however as anyone could sign up for those mailing lists there was not really a restriction so uh, people around the world starting started getting into the this protocol and started using it uh however us government didn't really like it because this tool was using really uh kind of established best practices uh, in cryptography and using uh, like signing and uh, certificates and uh, sharing keys with uh, using the asymmetric uh, cryptography and then like using symmetric cryptography with long keys and stuff like that. So uh Basically, FBI started criminal investigation uh, for against Zimmerman again uh, for breaking basically these uh, munition export laws. However, he uh, started arguing that, well, basically, it's not. It can't be said that cryptography and software is munition, uh, and he published the book with the source code of pretty good uh, privacy protocol uh, and uh, and basically argued that it is a book, it is a spoken word uh, now anyone can scan and use OCR or type it into a computer and then use the use the software uh, and he's basically protected by freedom of speech and freedom of expression so like first amendment in the U United States uh, and basically there, there was a time that it was a bit uh, tricky or stressful uh, for <coughs> excuse me uh, for the guy especially to uh, to talk about that, but then basically he prevailed, uh, and uh, uh, the regulations were changed, especially under Bill Clinton. Uh, the the key sizes were uh, relaxed, and uh, and bigger keys could be exported and not fall under munition export laws, but under some like commercial export laws and therefore it was okay to uh, to to publish them and to share them with the world uh, so, so I think this couple of stories even though I won't go to details because it is hard to talk about algorithm details through podcast or through voice only uh, 
they show a couple of interesting things about how cryptography developed and how how world world worked uh and as well like how how governments considered that and and especially if uh there was something strong some strong encryption they would uh be still afraid and still try to weaken those algorithms uh, uh so, so even with the death it is kind of known that there there was left uh one type of attack that was later on found out uh, that, uh, uh, w- w- although it is uh, uh, unclear whether it was uh, it was left there by purpose or not, uh, but the NSA was involved in 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 development of the algorithm, and as as well, government are still kind of afraid whether the bad guys would be using the secret communication that they can't break and they can't see what's going on, uh, and therefore some either crime or terrorist attack would happen. And it is kind of like genuine risk, but on the other hand. Uh, government can as well misuse the power of having access to all uh, communications. Uh, So therefore, uh, the development of uh, cryptography is uh, is very useful to the world and very, very good. Uh, The... Well, one of the advices that I've heard is that algorithms should be public, and uh, well, cryptography algorithms in the first place should be public, uh, and there is a good reason for that. Is that if you think it is good, it doesn't really matter uh, what is the algorithm, and. Uh, you are leaving to the whole world's community to try to break it. And once uh, someone breaks it and reports that it could be broken, uh, it should no more be used. However, if you don't publish, this may never happen and your algorithm would be vulnerable uh, without you even knowing about that. so, so it is really, really useful to publish and to have the cryptographic community examine the algorithm properly uh, before using it. So I would like to end with this story and this uh, this note. Uh, so uh, if you would like to hear more information you could go to inspiratron.org that's our website we have some blog posts there it is working for a couple of years now and you can read through that we will be publishing the podcast next week as well most likely on monday uh, so stay tuned you can as well subscribe to inspiratron.org uh, there will be links uh, below, uh, and uh, yeah, we have as well a store where you can get a t-shirt, and it will support us. As well, there is a Patreon page. It, like all the links will be below. Uh, 
and yeah thank you for listening uh, uh for um and stay tuned for next week's inspiration talks thank you bye